0: All right, everyone, welcome to New Life. How many you guys are excited to be here to worship Jesus today? Are you? Fantastic, fantastic. Hey, my name is Jeff. Thank you for joining with us here at the Carna Campus. All of those with us at our other broadcast campus, campuses, from our, our other campuses, excuse me, our online campus. We're just excited to have you everywhere. North Ogallala, online, wherever you're worshiping uh, with us. Uh, we are in week two of seven. Someone say seven. Seven. We're talking about the seven churches that are written to in the book of Revelation. And I know that when some of you guys heard we were going to have a study on the book of Revelation, you were totally excited and you were like, finally, we're going to find out some of the answers to to the mysteries. Well, look, I just want you to know this series is just going through the seven churches. And in these letters, there are some fantastic things that we can glean from to apply to our life to see spiritual transformation and change. How many of you guys know that, look, when we come here on a weekly basis and we gather together, right, sometimes it feels a little routine. I mean, come on, let's just be open and honest about it, right? I mean, some of you guys, you kind of start to figure out the service flow and you're like, okay, look, if we get there too late, we'll miss the first song. Um, You know, know, look, we want to get there early because we like the first song. Some of you guys purposely walk in, you know, after the first song, right? Sinners, don't do that. All right? Did I just say that, by the way? Just messing around. Like, you you just know the flow, right? And it can feel a little routine. I want you to know this. Like, nothing's routine about gathering together in God's house with other believers to hear God's word. Nothing is routine about that. Okay? And so today, God's got something special for our lives. Um, So here we are. We're at this time of the year where schools started again. All right? Do we have any, uh, any students in the house or any parents that have kids that have gone back to school? Let me hear from you really quick. Yeah, right. And you basically heard moms right then. That's what you heard. <laughs> moms were like, yes, kids are back to school. We're excited about that. And uh, heading back to school brings structure. Come on, someone say structure. That's what it does. It starts to bring us back into structure. Some people love structure and other people rebel against structure. Who are my structure people in the house? Come on, let me hear from you. Yep, okay, there you go. There you go. Who are my non-structure people? They're just like free flow. Yeah, I thought I might get a little extra out of you. You Because the structure people were trying to think like, well, how do we respond right now? Is it a hand? Is it a voice? We don't really know. Um, Right? So structure people are the people that you have like a bedtime. You know exactly when you're going to bed. Um, You're also people that know exactly when you're waking up. Structure people tend to be more morning people at times. Um, they're the people that are like, yeah, I get up every morning at five. You know, whenever I talk to somebody that tells me I get up every morning at five, you know, the question I always have for them is this. Why? You, right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Why? Why? No, I'm I've, I've just, I've just like, like, what time do you go to bed? And they're like, seven. I'm like, wow, I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. But yeah, okay, so you got structure. Like you go on vacation, you plan out every day before the vacation starts. My non-structure people, all right, they don't know what time they're going to bed tonight. They don't even know what they're going to eat tonight. They, have, they think they know what time they're going to wake up, but the snooze might get hit 10 or 12 times. Right, um, and, and you know when you go on vacation, you know where you're going because you got to buy the airline ticket, right? But if you could wait till the very last minute, you would probably do that. And then every day is like a mystery. We wake up and we go explore the world. We got structure people and non structured people. Re- regardless of structure, when it comes to the way you live out your everyday life on this earth, this next question has to be entertained by all. What structure are you going to bring back into your spiritual life? All of us, including Jeff Baker, there is some structure that we all need to bring back into our spiritual life. And how would you know what kind of structure that you need to bring back to your spiritual life? Well, you maybe find that answer in two simple questions. One, what is it, what's something that you need to break free from? Where, where's an area of your life where you want more spiritual Freedom, right? You're you're locked up, you're bound by the sinful nature of this world. Well, there's some area where you might want to bring some structure. Another area uh, might be where do you want to grow the most? Like if you're if you're wanting to grow, like in, in your knowledge of God's word, or you're wanting to grow in prayer, or you're wanting to grow in some understanding, right? Then you're gonna to need to bring some spiritual structure into your life. I just need to make sure that everybody here understands this. Right? It's important to understand that the structure that you bring into your life, it's going to produce a quality or a character. It's going to produce something. And so if, if, you, if you have a healthy structure you bring into your life, it's going to produce a healthy character. If you have a non-healthy structure, it's going to produce a non-healthy quality. And that's why I believe that this series comes at just the right moment, because in these seven letters that Jesus writes to these seven churches, he's, he's both encouraging them, but he's also bringing to them some very foundational, spiritual, structural implementation that they need to bring into their life, which are the same things we need to bring into our lives. And so how does he do that? Well, he tells them about the things they're doing well. And then he challenges them with the things that they need to change in their life. And then he comes along and he tells them, look, if you repent and you change, there is an incredible reward that I can give you, that I desperately want to give you. But if you don't, then there's a price that you'll have to pay for not implementing my structure. So what I love about these letters is that Christ lists out for us the structure that we need to have in our lives but then he, he also gives us the motivation for change many of us we want change in our lives but we want change for for the wrong motive like we have bad motives for why we want to change we, we tend to use negativity to change where jesus doesn't use negativity to bring change in your life he always uses himself so in these letters what is it that he does he opens up our eyes and he helps us to see a little bit more of who he is. And that picture of who Jesus is now becomes the motivator for our change. That's one of the things that I love about Jesus. He goes, look, the more that you know me, the more you're gonna be motivated to be like me, right? The more that you love me and that you wanna love me, the more you're gonna to want to obey me. And that's gonna cause you to be more like me. And that's what I love about Jesus. In every letter, Jesus reveals some little picture of who he is. And here's what we get, right? We're not just one church in Smyrna or Pergamum that we're going to talk about today in Revelation chapter 2 if you have your Bible. Okay? But we get to now put all the pieces together and we get to see this grander image of our Savior where each church only got a glimpse. They got a little piece We get to put the whole tapestry together, and it's a beautiful picture of who he is. So at the beginning, at the beginning of these letters, at the beginning of our sermon, we want to go first to who is Jesus. So I love how Jesus wants his church to know him. And I love how each of these little mini revelations of Jesus become life-giving and they become inspiring. Because as a Christian, our main goal, our main goal as a Christian is to be Christ-like or to be Christ followers and you know that look you can't be a Christ follower if you don't know who Christ is like if you want if you want to be more like Jesus then you have to replicate what you know about him and here's the problem in the in the modern day church today we have too many people that have second-hand revelations of who Jesus is and we have very few people that have first-hand revelations meaning this we have a lot of you who you, you know about Jesus Okay, because of what you've heard. You've heard me talk about him. You heard your mom talk about him. Maybe you heard your grandmother talk about him. But we have few people that have first-hand revelations. Like, look, this is what Jesus did th- to me. This is what Jesus has shown me. I'm going to tell you right now, a first-hand revelation about Jesus is life-giving and will sustain you. A second-hand revelation of Jesus is like getting bad gas at the gas station. Your car is not going to run. Nor will your spiritual journey run very far. You've you got to have a first-hand uh, experience. Because out of the first-hand experience with Christ, now you've got something to replicate. You've experienced him, now you can replicate that and you can show others what a relationship with Christ actually looks like. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be Christ-like, to replicate Christ. I had a buddy, um, he knows knows that I like to hike mountains, and so he took me on a hike up up a mountain in Colorado called Mount Holy Cross, 14,007 feet, okay? I love that. So now you can say that you've hiked a 14er and it was only seven feet above it. All right? But you still did it, nevertheless. And so he knew the journey, he knew the path, and he took me on it the first time. Because he had experienced it, he helped me to experience it. The next time I did that hike, I took others with me. I can only replicate what I've experienced. And the same thing goes for you, it's called discipleship. It's leading somewhere, someone spiritually to a place that is where you have been. That's discipleship. I'm going to take you on a spiritual journey to a place where I have been. And as a Christian, we need to pay close attention to who Jesus is so that we can do one critical thing. Replicate him and his ways. So to the church in Smyrna, Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. This is the message from the one who is the first and the last, who was dead but is now alive. Come on, somebody. That's good news, right? That's good news. These two statements that he makes right here in this scripture in verse 8, these two scriptures need to be the backbone of our Christian faith. This, these two statements that he just made, this is what sets Christianity apart from all other religions and all other beliefs. Let me break down the two things that he said. First, he said this, right? He is the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus goes, look, I always was. And I always will be. I am both the beginning and the end. See, some people think this about Jesus that Jesus shows up in the New Testament, therefore, he was some kind of afterthought from God. Or that because man sinned and messed up God's plan, God had to come up with a new plan. But that's not the case at all, guys. And if you don't know who Jesus is, then you don't have the backbone of Christianity. First Peter 1:20 tells us this that God chose him, being Jesus, as your ransom long before the world began. But now, in these last days, he's been revealed for your sake. Jesus isn't an addition to God. Jesus is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I love this verse because it helps us to really hone in the fact that, look, Jesus became your ransom for your sin and my sin, check this out, before the universe ever came into existence, before the earth ever became what it is, before God ever spoke life onto this planet, God knew that you and me were not going to be able to live a righteous, holy life, and we were going to need a sacrifice for our sins Our first original sin, Adam and Eve, did not throw off God's plan. It's all been a part of God's plan. That in in us, we are not good enough. That if we were good enough to live a righteous life, we would abandon God. So from the very beginning, God said, you're not going to be able to do it. You're going to need me. I want that relationship with you, so I've established Christ before the beginning of all things to give his life as a ransom for your sins. He's the beginning. And then here at the end of days, he's been revealed to us as he walked the earth, as he gave his life on the cross, and as he rose again from the grave. That's what I love. And that's the second truth here. The second truth is that Jesus died. He died like all humans and all other religious leaders of all the world's religions, except for this one thing He rose again from the dead, and it said that He's alive. That's good news. That's the God that we serve. That's what sets Christianity apart from all the others. These things are the most important. Just like 1 Corinthians 15 drove home for us. It says this, I pass on to you what was, what? What are those next words? Most important, right? I pass on to you what was most important. Here's what's most important. And what had also been passed on to me. Here's what's most important. Christ died for our sins, just as as the scripture said. He was buried And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. This is what's most important. That's why I'm telling you, what Jesus tells the church in Smyrna about himself is the backbone of Christianity. And these two doctrinal truths of who Jesus is need to be the foundation of your faith. If he's not the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. If he's not the one who died and was crucified for your sins, but yet he is alive, If that's not the backbone of your Christianity, your Christianity is built on something that is collapsing. It's falling apart. And if those truths have stopped wowing you, then the foundation of your Christianity is crumbling. If those truths have stopped wowing you, that he was here before it all began and he'll be here after it all ends. That he died gave up his life but yet he rose again he's alive he's sitting at the right hand of the father if that doesn't wow you anymore then you need to come back for a heart check again and get back to the basics and go back to the drawing board and say Jesus remind me of who you are so that everything else in my life can be built on it so that I can be life-giving but he also said th- these words about himself to the church of Pergamum. He said this in verse 12, "This is the message from the one with the sharp two-edged sword." That's pretty cool. You know, Jesus with the sharp two-edged sword. In chapter 1 it talks about him having this sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth. So this sharp two-edged sword really can refer to the word of God. And that the word of God is two things. It's both a blessing to us. How many of you guys have experienced a blessing? From God's word. God's words encourage you, right? All right. But also, how many of you guys have experienced God's word bringing some conviction? Yes. yes, it does both. And in the end, God's word will also bring judgment. So I just want you to know this. Your pastor believes this. Jesus is radically, amazingly kind and nice. I just want you to hear that. Jesus. The one you're here to worship today, he's nice, super nice, by the way, super kind. You don't find anyone more kind. You don't find anyone more generous. You don't find anyone more nice. But also Jesus, he's a just judge. He's both. And you need to know that today. That's why this double-edged sword has both the blessing and it has the judgment that's going to come and just know this he, he will use both he will bless us but he will hold us accountable according to his word in hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 through 13 it says this for the word of god is alive and powerful it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit between joint and marrow meaning this like it makes a really clean cut It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. This is what God's Word does. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. Just please know this, church. He is a God who wants to bless you, but He is also a God who's going to hold us accountable. In everything that we do, he sees it. I love this. I, I hate the fact he sees my sin. But you know what we often forget? The part that I love? He also sees our faithfulness. Today, you need to know he sees your faithfulness. He sees your faithful act of worship today that you've gathered here to seek him. How encouraging is that? So this is what I love about these letters. Jesus says, look, once you have an awe of who I am and I'm your motivator, now let me go on from there and encourage you with a couple of things. I want to talk to you about the things you do well. And that's what Jesus does. He comes and he encourages the church with the the things that they do well. Listen to what he said to the church in Smyrna in verse 9. He says, I know your suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. And that doesn't sound a lot, you know, but I'm just going to tell you right now, check this out. If you're suffering and you're in poverty, to know that your Lord and your Savior, right, says to you, I see you. I see you. I I used to live downtown Omaha. I, I lived at 22nd and Leavenworth. Things have changed radically, but when I lived there, 24th and Leavenworth was was one of the crime capitals of our entire state. On this one block, I, I chose to live there on mission. I, I met a lot of homeless people. I walked by a lot of prostitutes. I, I knew a lot of people by their street names. I refused to use their street names. I tried to find out their real name for their own human dignity. But one of the things I discovered was this they're overlooked, they're ignored. They're the people that we just want to not even know about. In fact, we drive by them to get to our nice downtown on the bricks for dinner. A lot of people that are living in extreme poverty feel unnoticed. Like, no one knows me. Jesus says to the people that are suffering, he goes, look, I want you to know something. I know you. I know you. There's two words, two words that could have been used here in the Greek To really define what poverty is. One of the words could have defined it as the working poor. This is the kind of poverty that we tend to experience here in Nebraska, the working poor. You're under the poverty level, but you're holding a job and you're just barely getting by. Or there's the word that's used for poverty, which means that you are in incredible hunger, you're in homelessness, you're the beggar. That is the level of poverty. That was the word chosen to use to define the poverty level of these people that were here in this place at this moment in the church of Smyrna. They were at that level of poverty. But check this out. Even though in this earthly level of poverty that they're suffering with, and Jesus goes, I see you. You're you're amazing. He changes their status with one word, and he goes, but you're rich. What? Like, did you see Jesus yesterday? I was begging for bread. I am rich. Rich in what sense? Rich in a heavenly sense. See, there is two ways to be rich, church. There's the way to be rich on this earth, and there's a way to be rich in heaven. And I'm going to tell you right now, richness on this earth decays and it dies, and it goes away, and you can't take it to heaven, but richness in heaven goes with you for eternity. And Jesus said to this church, you are rich in eternity. This is the rich that we need to search after. We need to be like treasure hunters, hunting for spiritual richness, building up treasure in heaven. That's how we need to be living our lives. How do you build up treasure in heaven? Love the poor. Care for the needs of others. Take radical steps of faith. Meet the needs of those who are the unfortunate. Put the kingdom of God first. When we do those simple things, we're building up a richness in heaven that Jesus said to this church, this is who you guys are. I don't think you see yourself that way. I want to tell you that's who you are. When you're suffering and you feel like poverty is coming down around you, just know this, there is a different, there's a different economy that you could be rich in, and that's the kingdom of heaven. Be generous, be kind, be loving, take radical steps of faith, care about the needs of others, put God first, be rich in the kingdom of heaven. If you only strive to be rich on this earth, check this out. You might make it. It's not a bad thing, by the way. It's not a bad thing to be rich. It's just how we use the resources God gave us. Right? You can get rich on this earth and still be poor in heaven. Instead, I would encourage you to let's all strive to be spiritually rich in heaven. I got a feeling you're never going to regret that. But there's another way to store up treasure in heaven, and it comes from the words that Jesus said to the church in Pergamum. He said this in verse 13. "I I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne. Wow, how would you guys like to live in that city? How would you like to have... Yeah, well, I'm going to list my house for sale. Uh, what city do you live in? Oh, that's the city where Satan has his throne. Oh, like, like, who's, like what, who's your neighbors? Oh, Satan. Um, he's my neighbor. Right? I mean, that doesn't sound super encouraging. I, I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. There it is. You refuse to deny me, even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. Can I just point out to you? antipas who's ever heard of this guy if you've never read that verse you've never heard of him and by the way there's nothing else about him but you don't need to know anything else about him all you need to know are these three words my faithful witness did you know that jesus jesus our loving caring kind amazing god He knows the names of those who are his faithful witnesses. They're recorded on his heart. It's as if they're tattooed, like, into his soul, written upon his mind, that he comes back to this church and he goes, I call out this faithful witness by name. You need to know, Jesus knows your name, faithful witness. You don't go unnoticed by your Lord and your Savior. He knows your name. Even if you live in Satan's city, by the way. It was called Satan's city because it was the capital of the Roman province in Asia. It was a city full of idolatry. In fact, in this city, they had the largest temple. They actually worshipped Caesar, the president, as a god. Massive temple there. They they had a a temple to Zeus. Zeus. They had a temple to another God that was this healing God. I mean, they just had temples all over the place, and they worshiped all these false gods. And in the midst of all of this idolatry, in the midst of all of this temptation, in the midst of all this persecution, where their own, who was with them worshiping on one Sunday, killed in the streets on Monday, they are called loyal. You know what would be a beautiful statement for Jesus to say about you and me? That we are loyal, faithful witnesses of him. Amen? Amen. Let's strive for that. Let's be that because we live in a world where loyalty matters. We're getting bombarded daily with companies, corporations, businesses. Look, be loyal to us. Be loyal to us. Brand loyalty, it seems like it's one of the number one things that consumerism is being driven by today. Hey, look, be faithful, be loyal to this coffee and to this coffee company. Be, be faithful and be loyal to this cell phone and this cell phone provider, this car, this car that you drive, this soda that you drink. Coke Coke people in the room? Pepsi people in the room. Pepsi people, you won that argument, right? loyalty like it's being driven what airline do you fly american airlines united you better because it flies out of Carney. okay (laughs) be loyal would you just be loyal All right, but man, every business has a loyalty program. How many loyalty programs are you a part of where you get points if you purchase from this place or you climb a level? You're a member. No, I'm a silver member or I'm a gold member. I'm a platinum member. No, I'm a universe member. No, I'm a galaxy member. I mean, I don't even know what they are, right? And certain large companies, they've got credit cards and they want you to be brand loyal that way. Spend money on our credit card. We're going to make you a grand loyal member. You know what I mean? Like th- that's that's the world we live in. Relational loyalty? Holy cow! Like that's something that seems like it's harder and harder to find. If you find if you find a loyal spouse, let me just tell you today. If you find a loyal spouse, in fact, if you're married in the room, would you just grab each other's hand really quick? Just grab each other's hand. I'm going to ask you to do this for a second, okay? If, if you find a loyal spouse, you are rich. Squeeze the hand and tell them, "I'm rich, baby. I'm rich." When you find a loyal friend, okay, if you've got a loyal friend in the room, you're going to want to make eye contact on this one, all right? All right, if you find a loyal friend, you found gold. Yeah. Yeah. My, my two people are in the front row, I don't know where your people are at. <laughs> right? Loyalty in our faith is something that Jesus is looking for in our lives. Who are you more loyal to? United Airlines or Christ? Who are you more loyal to? Ross, right, or prayer? Who are we more loyal to? Verizon or or tithing to the Lord? Who, Who are we more loyal to? Jesus recognizes the loyalty of his church, and he calls you and me to that same loyalty. I want you to consider your faith through the lens of loyalty. Okay. Are you a card-carrying member of the kingdom of God? Are you proud of it? Are you at a place where you're like, look, United, even if you lose my luggage, I'm still flying with you. Jesus, even if I have to suffer a little bit, I'm still sticking with you. Yeah. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like That's the loyalty he's looking for. So that's what they were doing well, and let's do those same things well. But then there were some things that needed to change in their life. And like the Holy Spirit convicts us today, Jesus wrote in these letters to the church and he brought conviction to the life. He said this in verse 14 and 15. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food, offered to idols, and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Now, first and foremost, You want to find out more about Balaam and Balak and the Israelites, you're going to have to look in Numbers chapter 22 through 25. Somewhere in that zone, you're going to get that whole story that's going to come down the road. But basically, Balak was the king of the Moabites, the enemy of the Israelites. He wanted to conquer them because they had all moved in very close to him. He found Balaam. He found out who God was. And then Balaam basically tells him, look, they have the favor of the Lord upon them. The only way you're going to defeat them is you get the favor of the Lord off of them. Well, how do I do that? Balak asked. Well, you got to get them to be sinful people. And as they sin and they turn their hearts away from God, then they will walk out of the favor and the blessing of God. And he taught him how to like, mislead the Israelites. And the men started having sex with you know, the women of the Moabites. And he started leading them away, man by man, family by family. And he eroded the very culture and the commitment of the Israelites to God's people. We got to be careful of these things. We gotta be careful of the way we manipulate religion, the way we, 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 we manipulate God's word. We gotta be careful of legalism. That's the opposite end of what I'm talking about. But we also have to be very careful to watch out for justifying. Um, justifying our faith and compromising our faith to doing the things that the world says is acceptable. That was the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans would be people sitting in this church right now, sitting at one of our campuses, calling themselves a new lifer, but believing, believing this, that, hey, look, it's okay to go live your life however you want to, especially when it comes to, to sexual sin. Have whatever sexual partner you want. Who cares if you're married? Go out and have an, go have, an, have an affair. Yes, go ahead. Be same-sex attracted and follow through you know, with that homosexual lifestyle. Go ahead and do those things. Like, that was what the Nicolaitans were saying. And Jesus was going, don't tolerate that. Yeah, yeah. Don't put up with that. Don't let that creep into your life. He was saying this. Look, don't abuse grace. Yeah, don't abuse grace. Don't warp my words, Jesus was saying, to satisfy your sinful desires. Same thing that Paul wrote to the church of Galatians in chapter 5, verse 13. He says this, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Let me just make a couple of like, really just straight statements, okay? Ignoring God's word. And believing that God is only a forgiving God and that a loving God will somehow overlook our sinful lifestyle is incorrect. It's wrong. It's deception. Look, you could have a hundred different people say the exact same thing with passion. Just because a hundred people say the exact same thing with passion does not make it true. So what we have to be careful of with our faith today is this, cultural drift in our faith. I want to talk to you about the difference between cultural drift and cultural relevance. Right, it's possible to be both culturally relevant without culturally drifting in our faith, meaning taking the gospel truth of what the Bible tells us to live and letting it drift with what's acceptable in the culture, like the Nicolaitans. Hey, this is what God says about our life. However, there's a lot of grace, so go ahead and sin sexually however you want to. That's cultural drift. Cultural relevance says, I know what God's word says about my life. I'm going to live it even though it is anti what the world says about how I can live, right? But I'm going to be in this world, not of this world, so that my faith can be effective in leading people to the truth. If If you become a person that is no longer culturally relevant, then your message becomes irrelevant, if you let your spirituality drift with the culture, your spirituality becomes irrelevant. So there's this balance, there's this middle place where we stay both culturally relevant, but we stay gospelly true. Yes. Amen. So how do we do that? We have to search our, you to search your heart and make sure that your heart is lining up with God's word. Please, don't ever take one of my sermons and just take it for face value. Please take my sermons and go back and look in the scripture to let the scripture really soak into your heart so that you can be a man or a woman that truly knows God in a firsthand revelation, not a secondhand revelation. Okay. So if we do those things, if we repent, if we follow the Lord, if we remain loyal to him, if we don't allow cultural drift in our life, Jesus says, as we wrap up this message, that there is a reward. Come on, someone say a reward. There's a reward for those who remain faithful. And in verse 11, he said, Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Second death? What? Some of you are freaking out right now. It sounds like that's not a reward. I don't want to die twice. It's appointed once for man to die. Then there is a day of a resurrection. And then we all stand before the Lord at the judgment seat of the Father. And to those who have remained faithful to him, he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the kingdom. For those who have not remained faithful, he says to them, I don't know you. Depart from me. That departure from the presence of God for eternity is what's referred to as the second death. Jesus says this, if you remain faithful to me, then look, here's what you don't have to worry about. You don't have to har- be harmed or fear the second death. And that's a beautiful, right? However, if you choose to live like the Nicolaitans, like I'm going wor- to come to church on a Sunday, but I'm going to live like the world does Monday through Friday, then I'm going to tell you right now, fear the second death. Right? Like, fear that, and let that cause a holy righteousness to stir up within you. If you remain faithful to Jesus, though, you're also going to find the crown of life, which is going to be amazing. Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, he also says this, To everyone who is victorious, I'm going to give some of the manna that has been hidden in heaven for them. I'm going to give to each one a white stone, and on that stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. This is part of the reward. What in the world is he talking about? Right? The manna, the Israelites, they ate this manna that came from heaven for 40 years in the desert. It sustained them. Jesus says this, I'm now your manna. I now am the bread of life. Just like he said in John 4, 6, Jesus said this. Yes, I'm the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all what? They all died. Everyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will what? Never die. Never die. How do you eat the bread of life? How do you eat of Jesus? Well, let me tell you this. When you read God's word, you're ingesting the bread of life. When you come and you worship here on a Sunday, guess what you're doing? You're ingesting the word of life. Okay, he is the bread of life. He is the manna. He goes, for all of you who remain faithful, I will be your sustainer of life. That's good news, guys. That means he's never going to abandon us. He's both the what? Alpha and the omega. He's the beginning and the end. But just to wrap this up, secondly, he said, look, I'll give you a white stone. What does that mean? I'm going to give you a white stone. Back in those days, if you were dragged into a courtroom and there was a juror, a jury, at the end of the case, each juror would have two stones, a white stone and a black stone. A black stone, they would deposit into the urn and they would say guilty. The white stone, they would put in a different one and they would say not guilty. A white stone back in those days would be given when the Romans would do large special events in their arenas where they would invite everybody to come in for free. Concessions were free. Everything was free. There was a big day. They wanted to celebrate something, and they would give out white stones to, to uh, Roman citizens to invite them. It would be their acceptance to come in letting them know we want you to be there. And many times they would write their name on the white stone and the little stone they would bring to the gate entrance and they would say, I have a special VIP pass. And they would lay down the white stone. Welcome. Come on in to the event. Enjoy a free Pepsi, by the way. (laughs) Diet. Thank you. Right? Come on in. So what is Jesus telling us? He's telling us this. Look. I'll give you this white stone. Your sins are going to be wiped away. You have, a, you have an acceptance into heaven. I'm giving you a new name, right? I'm giving you this new name, which is what? A new inheritance. It's like being adopted into the family of God. On March 18th, I stand in a courtroom in Omaha where four kids got adopted. Their names got changed into my family lineage their names are no their old names no longer exist their new names now exist they have a new inheritance and it's coming down from papa (laughs) they never would have had it if their name wasn't changed you've got a new name you've got a white stone with your name on it you you've got a you've got a gate pass into heaven why because you remain faithful because of what Jesus has done because he's not dead in a grave someplace but he is alive amen Come on. So what did you hear God say to you today? Did you hear him say to you today, you're rich? Did you hear him say to you today, remain loyal? Did you hear him say to you today, hey, look, your faith is compromised. Your faith's compromised. Come back. You've drifted. Come back to center. Or did you hear today a message of hope? That your name is written on the white stone. And that the white stone's already been cast on your behalf, not guilty. What did you hear today? You're rich? Remain loyal? Or your faith is compromised? Repent and come back? Or did you hear a message of hope today? You heard something in the midst of all of this. Whatever it was, was God's piece of gold for you today so that we could go and we could live the life that he's called us to live amen Amen. let's stand and let's worship the king of kings and the lord of lords father we stop at this moment just to pray we thank you for your word and then we're going to turn our hearts from your word to declaring who you are your word now gave us the platform to declare that you are the beginning and the end Your word gave us the platform to declare that you are the righteous one who is alive. You're not dead, but you're alive. Your word gave us the platform to declare that we want our lives to be loyal to you. No matter what comes down the road, we want to be loyal to you. But your word, your word convicted us. And we need to repent in your presence. And as we worship you, as we worship you, Lord, Yes, you will forgive us where our loyalty faulted, but Lord, there are others in this room that you would rather reward us because our loyalty remains stable. And Lord, may we we experience your presence as we worship you here at New Life Church today. In Jesus' name, amen.